Hi, my name is Nicole J. Georges. I'm a queer, feminist, vegan cartoonist, teacher, and advice columnist staying in Los Angeles, California with my half-blind chihuahua, Ponyo Georges. <laughs> this is our podcast, Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. What's the Today on Sagittarian Matters, advice on codependency and how to be a grown-up with Rocco Cayados and cartoonist Vanessa Davis. Stay tuned. Rocco Cayados is one of the founders of Original Plumbing Magazine. He was just featured on season three of Transparent used to rap under the name Catastrophe and currently works for BuzzFeed. Rocco has had all kinds of jobs in his life, including being a poet, being a nutritional consultant, and more. You can find him at RoccoCayados.com. Rocco, thanks for coming to give advice. Sure. So this person appears... I'd just like to say I'm not qualified to give advice for any reason. Perfect. Yeah. Well, I am, so <laughs> I had you as a guest. Um, but if you want to know my opinion... Wait, can I tell you that I met someone, I met some strangers at a party last night, and I horrified one of them by saying that I liked listening to Dr. Laura. Mm. It was two lesbians. Mm-hmm. She acted like I told her that I was a Trump. Mm-hmm. And then... Well, that's not unreasonable, because most of the people who listen to her probably supported Trump. But, like, what about... Then you look at me... And okay. It's incongruent with who you are as a person. Just... I worked at a dildo factory that was owned and run by women, uh-huh. and uh, they would make me listen to Dr. Laura every morning, and it was hateful. I would love that. I'd be it like, this is a perfect really job. Intense. So I'd be, like, pulling dildos out of the mold, <laughs> trimming the excess silicone off of the base, listening to this hateful woman berate rape survivors <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved it I would have been like you're right Dr. Laura I deserved it yeah. um, <laughs> and then and then so I, I thought we kind of the person got a little bit more comfortable around me but then I revealed that I also like the dog whisperer mm-hmm. and then she basically acted like I was like showing her a picture of myself blowing Donald Trump she what's was like, wrong with the dog whisperer she was like he beats dogs does he no, he doesn't beat dogs. He just shows them who's boss. He shows them who's <laughs> boss. <laughs> them a little bit. I went to the cat cafe the other day, yeah. and uh, and they were filming an episode of a new show with Caesar Milan's children. <sighs> oh, yeah. As if they're qualified. They are. They grew up as dog whisperers. Uh, that kid didn't give a shit about the cats. The way he interacted with the cats, I was like, what the hell is going on? Well, he probably wished they were dogs. Yeah, he hates cats, but he's at the cat cafe. He was at the cat Get cafe. out. <laughs> Stay with your own kind. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Dogs. Exactly. Um, I think that his kids uh, are probably very gifted because they've grown up having to do like that thing where he takes the dog for like the walk, the pack mm-hmm. leader walk. Mm-hmm. And then he has his kid always walking like the the sample dog, oh, like really? the calm balance dog. And his kids yeah. all know about harnessing their energy. And Interesting. Have, his kids. What is his kids? His kids seem like a douche. I'm sure he was a douche. He grew up rich and like. Being on stage at like giving ex- like like expo centers like yeah. talks yeah. to groups of people that are like Caesar Caesar. That sounds nice to be right? that kid, right? Dream this life. Now he has his own show on Nat Geo. His name's Calvin. Calvin. Oh, he's like the Bindi Irwin of L.A. <sighs> nice. Oh, I'm Bindi yeah. Irwin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I've got a snikey. All right. 
Cool. Rocco. So, advice. Uh, my long-time babe is trans, and I left him down in Florida last year, and we're still hanging on somehow. Uh, they're sad and suicidal and on drugs and living in a torn-up shack. I feel guilty and responsible, but so powerless to help them. I'm going back for a month in January, and the plan is to get them up to here to Illinois with me and to Indiana with their family. Part of me is worried I'll get sucked back in and stay. I mean, I mostly left because of the shack issue versus the relationship problems. But they're really hanging on to the house with this idea of making money off of it. And I'm like, let it go. Take whatever you can get for it and get the F out of Florida already. I can't really sort out my feelings. I'm tired of feeling guilty and responsible. I don't feel like I can cut them off, though, because we lived together since we were 19. And I thought we'd live together forever. I like my life here in Illinois, and I'm afraid they'll commit suicide or never transition to the level they want to because Florida is so inhospitable to trans people. I'm so tangled. Thanks for listening. Your advice is appreciated. Yeah, the fear of what the Trump world is going to be has put, made the stakes a little bit higher, and it seems like their their uh, desire to reconnect is more immediate because they're uh, afraid of what's going to happen in Florida. And rightly so. We all should be a, a healthy amount of afraid with Trump as our president. Um, but it seems like there's many layers to this question. One is that they live in a different place. The new the partner lives in Illinois, and the the I don't know how to refer to them. The questioner. The, the questioner lives in Illinois, and their partner lives in Florida. Okay. Um, and they've been together since they were 19. I don't know how old they are. Maybe they've only been together for a few months. <laughs> I'm 19 and a half. We've been together since I was 19. <laughs> <laughs> the best six months of my like life. They, oh, look at that guy's long tail. That's a dreadlock. <laughs> we're sitting I wish on, this podcast included pictures. <laughs> we're sitting on the street in Silver Lake in Los Angeles. Producer Ponyo's in the back doing the levels. And <laughs> Rocco just saw... A man with a dreadlock that went all the way down past his butt. He had a short haircut, but his tail, like he had a tail. Like Eeyore. And it was a, um, it was dreaded and it went all the way down to his butt. That spans longer than this relationship might. So they've been together, let's say they've been together for at least five years. Let's okay, so they're in a long-term relationship. They are living in separate states now. Um, it seems like they are separate because, uh, not because the their relationship had problems, but because the questioner had issues with the way the person is living. Yeah. So, and there, it seems like a part of the desire to reconnect is to born out of guilt and responsibility. That's a bad feeling when you're making a romantic decision. Yeah. The so what I was, I had, JD on we were talking about codependency mm-hmm. she was saying like basically if you feel guilty about making a decision then you kind of already know the answer that's a, a good uh, kind of a barometer I would also say if it feels familiar it's familial oh I've never heard that so if you're feeling like this is what love feels like but it's all these bad things like that's actually not love that's just your natal family instilling like this misguided idea of what love should feel like or look like. Um, I was in a long-term relationship and both of us came from kind of tumultuous backgrounds and we stayed together for way too long because it felt familiar. 
because it was our family of origins uh, way of showing love, which was like mm, unwittingly like controlling, manipulative, uh, guilt-laden, um, all kinds of things that, that actually are not part of a healthy relationship. Can we talk about just, I mean, in, can we talk about the idea of controlling, like that feeling like when you want to like, I don't know, uh, like that, like unhelpful helping, like helping somebody without being asked, oh, yeah. like trying to step in and save them in some way and yeah. feeling like that's part of love. Shit, that's like the foundation of this question, kind of. But right? like, what's the difference between that and sticking it through with someone when they're experiencing hard times? Okay, you know what yeah, I mean? totally. Um, I'll use my own ex- my own life experience as an example. I wish um, I had some life experiences that were dysfunctional, <laughs> but I'm so sorry I can't relate. <laughs> this is that's, why you have guests. That's why I had to have a guest. <laughs> um, Hopefully, a question yeah. could come up about perfect relationships, and then I could speak to it. So I think, like in my in in the past when I transitioned. Um, I think that my partner stayed with me because she felt that she needed to do out of uh, needed to do so out of obligation and not because we authentically were in a relationship that was both like caring and care like caring for each other and for ourselves. Um, I think that there was just a lot of guilt involved. Um, recently I went through a great deal of personal hardship and I'm in a very healthy and functional relationship now and I uh, the balance tipped in my direction in needing more care than I could provide. And that didn't feel like anything I've ever experienced because of my shitty upbringing and my other complicated and subsequent like crappy relationships. Um, now that I'm in a healthy relationship, I can see the difference. But up until this relationship, I didn't know what it felt like to be in like a relationship that was uh, one that where we were able to take care of each other and that that kind of pendulum swung back and forth of like she needs more care than I need right now I'm able to provide that I need more care and she's able to provide that whereas in the past it was like uh, a sense of entitlement like you need to take care of me right Mm -hmm. or like um, you know and even if I didn't say that explicitly energetically I expressed this kind of indignant like small child that needed care and was angrily asking for it which is all rooted in some fucking childhood bullshit of like not getting the proper care do you ever have a moment where like you're in the middle of something in a relationship and you have to be like I'm an adult I'm an adult man (laughs) like this is not your mom like when I have to stop and be like if I'm having a feeling I'm like and I'm like you're 35 years old yeah almost 36 grown ass woman yep I'm like, oh. And then it puts it into perspective, and yeah. I can kind of be like, oh. Yeah. This need that I have right now with this romantic person has is not as big of a deal as I was letting it be. Hell yeah. It's a harsh toke learning how to accept responsibility for your own emotional landscape and how to take care of yourself around it. So if you're able to take care of yourself, then you're less likely to um, need someone to take care of every fucking thing for you. And I don't mean like physical needs but I mean like emotional needs so in this instance like getting back to the the core of the question I think that this person feels this obligation this guilt this responsibility but I would say that maybe take some time to take care of yourself uh, and gauge whether or not that's something that you want to do out of love or if it's uh, 
feeling of like, if you don't do it, this person's going to die. Because mm-hmm. if it's coming from a place of, of guilt and responsibility, that's not authentic and that's not going to sustain and it's going to make both of you miserable. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to sacrifice your own well-being to caretake someone because they're miserable and ill-equipped and that's the foundation and not because you love them and you want to help them help themselves eventually but it's like born of like just straight up like if I don't do it no one will that's not your shit that's not your responsibility yeah in fact it's inappropriate because then you're crippling this person from potentially being able to take care of themselves at some point yeah you need to give them the respect and dignity to be able to to make their own shitty decisions right and, and rise to the moment when they feel like they've hit their rock bottom and they need to change something or do something totally so then they are building that muscle of taking care of themselves mm-hmm Especially if you mentioned that this person's like waiting to transition also. Like that is a uh, producer. Oh, she has something to say. <laughs> producer Ponyo, uh, she, she had some, some t- thoughts about transitioning. She, but, we've uh, been bulldozing this conversation. She's had <laughs> so much to say. She actually has a lot of really good life experience from that. Do you want to? <laughs> She's so cute. Um... I think if this person's at the crux of like a medical transition also, woo, that is going to be a roller coaster. If shit is already tumultuous and, and challenging for this person and subsequently then for you, uh, it's, that's going to be a mess. You're not going to be able to save this person. If you have a desire to save, maybe you don't even realize that it's like a savior kind of thing that's happening. Check that shit. That's about you. Like, what do you need to, how do you need to help yourself? Like where, what areas are you uh, distracting yourself from by putting people who are sicker than you in the way of you taking that like lens of wellness and applying it to your own life? I guess I, the last thing I want to say for this is like, I just imagine different people that are in problematic relationships, then they want to, and you tell them this kind of objective advice of just like, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe this person's not in a great place for this. So they don't need you to care to, then they're like, but you don't know them. Yeah. And I really, I love them. But like, you know, like... I like, was them. Yeah, you're like, that person had a hard childhood and you can't tell. And they're such a good person. Yeah. They're so, they're they're more complicated than you think. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, no shit. I've also known complicated people. Every person I've ever loved was had a, a complicated and interesting reason why I loved them. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that it takes their actions off the table. Yeah. I didn't own a shack, but I was definitely that person. I would have loved to own a shack. <laughs> <laughs> I got a fallen down shack in Florida. I couldn't Florida. pay my rent though. I couldn't pay my rent. And then my, my ex felt like she needed to stay with me because I would end up like homeless and on the streets or so, whatever narrative you want to write for it. But like when we finally broke up, I magically was able to pay my rent. I had to get well because I didn't have someone caretaking me. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had to get well because she didn't have someone to fucking distract her and take care of. Yeah. But also, it allowed us to focus on our own unwellness and have to and forced to like be an adult about shit. So it's kind of back to what you said of like having to own that you're an adult in these moments of conflict. Like that's really key. At some point, it's like this person's not 19; they own property. Mm -hmm. We we know that. Mm -hmm. Even if it's a shack, they still like that's how they choose to live. And if you moved, if you went so far as to move many states away, you're living in Illinois and they're living in a shack in Florida, that that's their choice. That's your choice. Your choice obviously was to be in a better position of life by moving and I'm assuming not living in a shack yourself. 
um, since the shack is disturbing to this person. Yeah. I want, right? I really want to know what's going on with that shack. Me too. I, I'm picturing it. I'm imagining because it's in Florida, like palmetto bugs and like lizards mm. just everywhere. A tin roof. A tin roof, but like some like tree frogs Rusted. just like on the on the wall inside, <laughs> like little suction cups on. Totally. Hot, no AC. But like clearly you have a desire for better in your life because you're moving towards that. Moving. You can't fish that person out of a shitty situation. They'll just create it wherever they are, especially if there's drugs involved. Yeah. Or any type of a, a addiction. Choose towards love. Yeah. Choose, for yourself. Choose towards joy. For, for yourself. yourself. Like, what would give you true joy right now? Like, if life is short, and with the Trump presidency, who knows, it could Oof. be shorter. Yeah. Uh, how Definitely going to kill the planet. How can you choose towards love and joy now? And it's not selfish for you to prioritize a little bit of joy and love in your own life and taking yeah. care of yourself. Yeah. It's not selfish. It's actually making you a more equipped partner totally. to bring to someone else. Yeah, and then if that person decides to to get well and move from their shack and kick drugs or whatever, then they can find you and you're a more well version of yourself, more equipped to be a partner who understands what your needs are and how to get them met before meeting the needs of others. Because that's it. Like, I think a lot of people feel like it's selfish to prioritize themselves, but that's actually... It, it creates a better life for you and subsequently makes you a better partner. Yeah. It's not selfish. No. It's crucial that it's, you prioritize yourself. It's better to be single and understand how to take care of yourself than to be with someone and do a shitty job of taking care of yourself and try and strong arm them into taking care of themselves when you don't even know how to take care of yourself. Just like if you're ever wondering about it, just imagine how you would feel if somebody stepped in and tried to tell you how to live your life. Oh. Which is essentially what we're doing right now. I mean, I am a yeah. <laughs> I am a Sagittarius. Don't like getting told what to do. I just read that on a T-shirt. <laughs> that also said Sagittarians were quote unquote amazing in bed. Amazing. <laughs> my friend, I was yeah, like, I dare. I said to my my friends of Sagittarius, I was like, I dare you to wear this shirt. I dare you to wear that. That's my Christmas dare is for every Sagittarius to wear the most embarrassing shirt they could find. But um. I don't know why I started saying that. Oh, but if somebody came and tried to tell me how I could live my life better and solve mm. my problems for me, I'll be like, get the fuck away from me. Yeah. Like, if I was like, I'm having a feeling, and they're like, can I solve your feelings for you? I'd be like, leave me alone. Yeah. I'm getting a restraining order. As an ex-drug addict, I do think there's something romantic about being rescued. <laughs> and as a current codependent, <laughs> I do think there's something romantic about rescuing. Mm -hmm. But as a person who's working both programs... <laughs> <laughs> dabbling in one but actively working the other I don't think it's romantic to do either of those things that's shit's not sustainable that's like natural born serial killer style relationship like you're just going back and forth like killing people metaphorically and, and trying to like hold each other while you're like you have this bloody mess like just fucking deal with your shit your own shit deal with your own shit yeah and don't get messed up in someone else's shit Maybe you guys have been together since you were 19, so you're afraid to end the relationship because mm. this is what you thought was supposed to happen, mm -hmm. and you're attached, you're in love with the potential of it, but like, what if you separated right now, both became fuller people and came back together? Yeah. Oh, which, uh, I'll leave it with this, is like, when I ended that long-term relationship that I also started when I was 19 and ended when I was 28, um, drugs were involved, poverty was involved, trauma was involved. All of those things anchored us to this relationship that allowed us to be exalting our unhappiness together um, for almost a decade. And I think, like, when I ended it, a wise person in my life said, if it's meant to be, there's nothing you can do to fuck it up. And if it's not meant to be, there's nothing you can do to fuck it up. 
I love that. But just leave it. Like, remove it from your life for a moment. We're leaving it. Yeah. Cool. That's beautiful. Tanya, what about you? Anything to say? Well, I personally like getting taken care of. And I don't mind people hugging me when they're sad. Is that codependency? I don't know. <laughs> All right, thanks, Tanya. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Vanessa Davis is an autobiographical cartoonist whose work I adore. She's the author of the books Spaniel Rage and Make Me a Woman, both withdrawn and quarterly. She just finished a streak of comics for the Paris Review, and in the past, she's also done a series of comics about Jewish identity for Tablet Magazine. Vanessa came over to my house, sat on my bed, ate some raw brownies, and pet producer Ponyo for this interview. Enjoy. Nicole, what is wrong with people? I'll take my answer off the air. Thanks. I think that something that's wrong with people is that they, uh, the thing we just, I think that people don't understand that there's room for all of us and that you need to mind your own business. Mm-hmm. You need to stay within your own personal hula hoop and try to only make positive impacts as much as you can. Yeah, I think that like every time I've been upset or every time I felt like I've been treated unfairly, the answer has always been to look within and to and to concentrate concentrate on your own work, concentrate on your loved ones. Mm-hmm. And that is usually the thing that kind of takes me out of it. Um, I like to do that, but then if I have when I, when I do that, well, I find that I have extra, and with the extra, I can do service to my community. Oh, I, yeah. But I found the flip side of that too. When I've so you know, like I had that volunteer job for ten years with seniors. And, like, if I was feeling, like, shitty, 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 because, like, things like, this lesbian was mean to me or whatever thing that was, like, very micro, if I just, well, I just had to go to the senior center anyway, but, like, getting outside of myself and doing service, I was just like, that stuff doesn't matter. Yeah. And seeing people that are, like, 80 years old that lived from before civil rights to after civil rights and just, you know, I mean, just have, like, a very different experience. I was like, my problem with some, like, immature lesbian that I was trying to date that is nothing right it's a well, I think that I think that that's what that's what it's a, okay so yes on the one hand I think that like you know concentrating on your work concentrating on your loved ones is like is a way out of a problem but I totally agree with you that like that uh external things that you witness that that brought in your perspective change everything too yeah like uh, uh um but also, you're doing a service to your family members. When you're concentrating on your loved ones, you're, like, emboldening all of you. Yeah, well, I think it's, like, it's like you know, the, what it is is that a lot of times what problems come from are preconceptions, issues you have from inside. So it's, like, and that's what a lot of, I think, is going on. I think because of the internet, people get, like, internet brain. It's, like, when you get into, like, a ridiculous conversation with someone on a Facebook thread. Yeah. And, and you get so angry. And, um, you know, and then you're, like, oh, wait a minute. Like, this is, like, this, it's imaginary. This First of all, this conversation is imaginary. The tone is imaginary. And all of it is, like, completely not even real. And so what's real is, like, the world that exists. And, and it's, I think that that is... I think that applies to like a lot to like a lot of problems, and so if you can like get out of your own head and like look outside of your own narrative of what's going on, 
you know, you can see that you're wrong. You can see that there's another way to look at it. You can see that there's someone else's way of looking at things that usually changes the way you look at things. Yeah. And so I, I agree with you that like when you are when you are able to go into your community and help, certainly like helping adds to that feeling of bigness that you have and you know like that yeah. that you want to cultivate. And then and then also just even even if you're not helping, like you know like even when I first moved to LA and I was having such a hard time because I was an apartment manager on the Sunset Strip. You know, I was like, L.A. sucks. This is awful, you know? And I think I read some article on, like, the L.A.ist or something that was, like, tips for if you're having a hard time adjusting to L.A. And 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 one thing about L.A. is that even though it's this huge city with so many different kinds of people and so many things going on, it's the kind of place where you really have to go out and, like, and, like, take yourself places in order to go places because you can be you can live here and never leave your apartment and like nothing will happen to you and uh and and I thought that was like sort of interesting with how that plays out with feelings because like um so they said in this article about how to how to like LA more Mm -hmm. is that you have to just go and explore and that sounds kind of like obvious but when I would go places and explore in LA, it would always be awesome. Mm-hmm. Like the restaurant would always be cool or like you'd go to a movie and it would, and it, and it would be, first of all, some crazy movie that like hasn't been, hasn't been screened in 40 years. And then like the child of the main, of the star would be in the audience and he'd tell you some story. I don't know. Yeah. Some kind of amazing thing would always happen. Um, when you would go somewhere in LA cause there's magical things going on and it's like this really vibrant city. And, um, and, and I, I don't know, I, like, learned a lot from that because because to kind of be rewarded by by the external world when you are sort of afflicted by the external, when you feel afflicted by the external world is, um, you know, is, is also broadening and also really, like, changes your perspective. Yeah. So in terms of what's wrong with people, I think that it's, like, I think that it's, like, mass, it's mass brain coupled with personal hang-ups. Mm-hmm. Um, that, but that when you actually interact with people one-on-one, you find out that you're wrong. When you actually interact yeah. with, like, the world as an individual rather than conceptually, but in actuality, you know, uh, you have a really different idea of what's going on. So I think that what, what's wrong with people is that they're focusing too much on, like, an imaginary narrative that they're being, that they're, that they're cultivating within themselves, you know, because of, because of human nature or because of culture. You know, and then also, you know, things that they're, that they're, I don't know. Yeah. I think that's good. I mean, it, I, I posted this quote the other day. I went to see this woman, women's comics panel and Leslie Sternberg Alexander was there. Who's like this, like seventies rock hippie mama. She's like long ass red hair and like an Axl Rose headband <laughs> and giant glasses and wearing like a black turtleneck and she was talking about her friend Dory Seda who ended up basically killing herself through you know smoking and not eating and like working too hard and whatever and this you know this woman who had seen like her friends and activists perish was like just she's like even if it's just like to go out and see the sunrise to break a depression like go out and interact with the world because that's what you're here to do yeah so even if you and me and Ponyo have limited time because the climate's going to, we're going to get baked by the sun and the ghosts of polar bears are going to take us down and then I'll, we'll be in like a forced labor camp. 
before then, <laughs> if we go out and actually just appreciate what is here now and appreciate the people, that might be really nice. Hi, Nicole. My name's Stephanie. Is there any way to not feel completely overwhelmed by adulthood? That's really all I want to know right now. Hi. Okay, what does adulthood mean to you? Oh, wow. Um, I don't know. I feel like, so I'm 38, mm-hmm. and uh, I feel like I'm kind of like just kind of feeling like an adult. It, you know, I think it happens in spurts. You know, like obviously, like when I was a teenager, or even when I was, I think when I was 10, I was like, okay, you know, like I'm not a kid anymore. Yeah. And, you know, and then of course, I'm still a kid at 10. Um, and then, you know, you have like gradations of that, like as you get older. Um, so I think that there's this pressure to feel like an adult all of a sudden, or like to completely feel like an adult. And I don't know that it happens that way, at least for me. Um, you know, everyone's different. And, uh, and so, so I think one way to not feel overwhelmed is to not try to take it on all at once because you probably can't. I mean, you can't anyway, and then you probably aren't, like, completely adultified anyway. It's like, I, I feel like being an adult, for me, has meant being comfortable in different ways. But mm-hmm. those things, like you said, have come a little step at a time. So it's like, when I when I look back and I feel like I was at my least adult, but in, like, an adultish body, it was like when I was living in a punk house with a billion roommates who were negatively affecting my mental my mental situation, not that I was like fucking crazy, but that I just was like, always felt annoyed and aggravated. And I was like, I guess it's just my personality. <laughs> but it was actually because I was living in this thing. In an annoying situation. Yeah. And like, and also just like eating bullshit and then be like, I'm out of my body and my body hurts. Like whatever. <laughs> like this, but I think as I've grown up, I've been like taking steps towards comfort and self care and like coming into my body more like, like not being in denial about it. Cause I was like, a tough person eats what fucking ever and lives with a million roommates right hangs out with people who suck because they're strong and now i see that very differently so now like as i've gotten more adult i've been like oh i want to make choices so i feel financially less stressed out or it's worth it to me to be a little financially stressed out if i don't have people in my mental space Mm -hmm. or like i'm not a bad person i just can't have 15 boys living in my house asking me questions 24 hours a day or like oh i can't eat only bagels uh, for my sustenance. <laughs> that doesn't actually make my body feel good. On it. like, so I just like, I'm like, I need to take naps every day. Unless you're a bagelaholic. Unless I mean, you're a bagelaholic, which I mean, it's a delicious way to die. Yeah, or a bagelitarian. Bagelitarian. Yeah, I mean, it's it's delicious. But like, getting to me being adult was like getting more into my body and then just taking those little steps. Like, oh, procrastination hurts me in the end, stresses me out in the end. It's like planning to like make myself stressed out tomorrow by not doing it today. Yeah. So. I- like I think serving myself more. Yeah, and having that scope. You know, like um, like you said, you know, you're like, hey, wait a minute, I was only looking at things like the, in this one way. And I think, I think that it's true that adulthood kind of like gives you, you know, obviously adulthood comes with experience and the, the experience gives you more scope. So you can kind of look at a problem f- from different angles um, and, and it'll give you kind of more, uh, more room to, to, you know, to kind of attack problems differently um what do you think's the most adult thing you do right now hmm i've been i've been going to a lot of doctor's appointments to take a proactive approach to my health oh that that sounds very adult yeah um i don't know that seems kind of adult uh 
I pay all my bills on time. Um, I just leave. I just bought a car, but it's like financed. Oh, so everybody around me is like, "You're finally an adult." I'm like, "Well, no, it's because I finally have more than like ten cents total." That's like totally one of my pet peeves. I feel and I, and I feel like it's everywhere. Like there's always there's all this thing where people are like, "I'm an adult. I need like an adult couch," or like, "I'm an adult. Like I need some I need some slacks." Or like, it's like classist kind of. It's extremely classist. It's like it's like oh you know so having money makes you an adult. Like that is bullshit. So sorry, I got a little aggro. But we should but we should <laughs> talk about what are the realities of being a working artist oh, okay. <laughs> and an adult at the same time. Yeah, well, I think that that can, you know, like, I, I, how does it serve you to have that attitude that, like, you know, that you're not an adult if you if you don't have your money in order? Like, it's, you know, you think about all of the real adults who are out there working really hard or even not working really hard, you know, um, you know, or, but who aren't in a position where they can get a new couch. Like, they're not, not adults. But, yes, like, yeah. so so I, I think that can get really complicated with being an artist at least it was for me, um, you know, because it was, uh, you know, because I chose to be an artist, and um, I remember once I got into an argument with my sister. This was a long time ago. She, my sister's very supportive of my work, but uh, but at one point we were arguing, and she was like, "You know, you went to college. Like, you're perfectly capable of of getting a real job," <laughs> and uh, and. Um, Where am I going with that? I don't know. You chose to be an artist. Yeah, I chose to be an artist. Well, for me... Sorry. Like, when I just bought this car... You can come back to it. Okay. When I just got this car and people were like, you're an adult now. I'm like, the reason I had an 87 Volvo before... I'm like, yeah, I've been a grown-ass adult for a long time. Like, I've been taking care of dogs and other people and myself and making adult decisions and teaching classes and running nonprofits and, like... I haven't been just like sucking my thumb in a corner being right. like, I have shitty things because I'm a baby. Like I just was like, I've worked for nonprofits, so I haven't made very much money. I'm an artist. I'm a working artist. So you might see my name somewhere, but I don't actually get a royalty every time you see my name. Ponyo. Ponyo just kicked the advice question on you. You're off topic. Um, no, we're on topic, Ponyo. You just don't understand. Yeah, Ponyo. This isn't the Chihuahua Advice Hour. You know what? Being an adult to me means not barking at the door every time, <laughs> but most times. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I had those things because you don't you don't get a royalty every time someone sees your name. Right. So if I'm like, oh my God, Vanessa Davis, and ten people are me like, I love her work. Like you don't actually get a quarter for every person <laughs> that says your name because you have to keep making work. Yeah. But so I don't, I just, the, the weird classism behind being an adult, like, if I was really an adult, I would have way more debt. Yes. Or I would have, I mean, it did, it doesn't make me feel adult, it makes me feel less stressed out to not have exclusively vintage clothes full of holes. Right. Because before I would curate a collection of <laughs> vintage clothing, and all of them had some, they were all in some state of disrepair, because they're like 60 years old. So it was always like, a safety pin holding this together, or this seam is stapled together, or has been re-sewn six times, or... It doesn't make me feel more adult to have these other clothes. It makes me feel a little bit stre- less stressed out. Maybe yeah. that's the adult thing. I don't know. Well, yeah, it's interesting. That that covers a lot of a lot of topics. Um, yeah. I think that 
I think that I think that you really tap into something when you talk about adulthood being like taking care of yourself and being responsible for yourself because that is that to me is kind of what adulthood is about. When you're a child, other people take care of you and you rely on others to take care of you. And when you're an adult, you know, you make choices for yourself and you are responsible for those choices. Um so so to me like the whole idea of of money being tied to adulthood doesn't really work because you can make choice like you make choices that like might result in not making a lot of money um but if you you know and then also the world makes decisions about like what 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 it'll pay for you know mm-hmm. um and so uh like talking myself into like this curly cue it sounds good though <laughs> the curly cue sounds the curly fry it sounds good <laughs> mm. um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think it's, 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 being a working artist is weird. It's, uh, I feel like I have been, you know, I think it's easier when, it's easier, you have to, you, you, you make decisions that like, that like fit your, your abilities. So, so like you said, you know, you're like, well, it might be worth it to make less money if to have this headspace or to have this physical space, you know, um, because I can then make, you know, better choices that will, like, get me more of my goals. What do you you think is the role of art now in this political climate? Because I feel like, with both ways, I feel like you know, it's art. Need, art should reflect the times, and so it's important that we're giving voice to the things that are going on that people are feeling. That people without a voice or without a public voice, I know. It's, I think it's important for them to see it reflected back and to use it for good. But then I also think that some of our our people, whatever that may mean, mm-hmm. some of our people just need a little relief from time to time too. Yeah, it's. It's very hard. I don't know. I, when I was finishing this comic that ran this morning, um, you know, I kept getting really confused about what direction I should go in because I really feel like I feel so upset that I don't really even know. You know, I think I think that when you when you are drawing comics, you know. Um, you know what your voice is because you have a story that you want to tell. But when you're at a loss and when you're upset, it can be very hard to kind of even harness what your what your thoughts are, much less to like compose them into a coherent story. Well, like you, okay, over. So your Paris Review thing was running over the summer, and it was right. So like right when I went to San Francisco to teach at CCA, in the same week, it was like two different black men had been shot by police, and Jean Viev Castre died. And she's, like, basically the same age as us. Yeah. She died of cancer. And your comic in the Paris Review about you kind of trying to process your grief about her. and then, But, you know, you're like, ah, like, I, but, like, cutting yourself. And then you're like, ah, like, <laughs> it was just something about it. Even though you didn't, you know, even, I don't know, even though it didn't solve cancer. Yeah. At the end, it just <laughs> felt so nice to see that same feeling reflected and to be like, I don't know, it just made me Something like everything right then felt terrible, but your comic felt valuable and useful, and I just felt not alone. I felt like part of a family. 
Oh, well, that's, that's everything that I could hope for because I mean, I think that, I think that that's what I like about autobiography is that, is that hearing about someone's particular experience, uh, it's like a relief, you know, to like, because it's that whole thing where you are like, where you have a conceptual headspace about what life is supposed to be like, or what your life is supposed to be like. And then you, and you, how you imagine other people's lives. But then when you read like the actuality of what they're going through, it's like, even if like, whether you can or can't relate to it, it's usually a relief because, um, like if you can't relate to it specifically, like, you know, if you aren't specifically like a Syrian American lesbian cartoonist, like, yeah. you know, like obviously like we still have like tons in common yeah. and just reading about your own personal story, like, uh, uh, or anyone's personal story. You're like, Oh yeah. Like people are, people are a mess too. Or people are like confused or people are having feelings or people are like, you know, feeling, I don't know. I think, I think that like that's, I've, I've found like a real respite, um, as a cartoonist and then as a reader in work like that, because, because I'm, because that's my personality and I'm like seeking to like know more about the world and about people. Um, so I think that, I think that art can do that. I read this really interesting, it was really interesting, Eleanor Davis the other day, maybe yesterday, she like tweeted that, that, um, that art is the food so that you can do the work. It's not like the end result. It's yeah. like, it's sustenance. I love that. And I thought that was really smart and really helpful because, um, you know, because yeah, it doesn't have to, ha- you, I, I'm not going to be able to solve cancer. And it's it's like, you're, I, I, I also read something a long time ago where, or, and I don't remember who said it, but it was something about how art isn't supposed to answer the questions, but bring up the questions. And so that's, been a relief as an artist to kind of like not feel that pressure you know like it's just about kind of there are some things that are too hard to discuss you know there are that are that are hard that are hard to put put into words hard to put into images president obama's not allowed to say them you know like there's all of these things that like can't be expressed any other way and that is art's job i think yeah i would two things one I had this Miyazaki quote from one of his documentaries where he was like, the world is too complex to describe in just words. Like, and that's why he makes these emotional films. The other thing is, I can't remember where I heard somebody say that art is like a prayer. Or it's, you know, like art, like maybe it was like, maybe Yumi Sakagawa, you know, made some kind of beautiful thing about it. Or something, but it was like, art is like a prayer. And I was just talking to my mom this morning, who was like a Catholic who voted for Trump. But I, you know, I was like, mom, all these actual things are happening. She's like well, we're all praying for peace. And it was like, well, praying is really nice, but then action. So it's like, yes, art is really nice. And so you, you look at the art that people are making, like, this makes me feel inspired. And you're like, and then go do action. Yeah, there's action. And then I also think there's like deep questioning and deep thinking that like, like just bringing up that thing that your mom said, it's like so <laughs> frustrating because it's like, it's like, no, you're not. Like, if you're, like, to, I mean, to me, to me, like, it doesn't seem like, sh- like, she's, like, by bo- voting for Trump, I don't think you're praying for peace, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. by, by, like, by, like, wanting to feel good about yourself, but then not, like, take that thought all the way, all the way to, like, the, the conclusion. To a compassionate conclusion. To a compassionate conclusion. Like, I don't really think that you're praying for peace. Like, I think that, I think that, you know, and not everyone wants to 
ask those questions. Like, I don't think that I'm like a better person because I like to ask those questions. It's part of my personality that I like to, you know, I'm like an analytical person. I was brought up in like an analytical culture. Like, you know, uh, you can't like, you can't like make people have the personality that like you think they should have. But I do think that what, however self-aware an artist is or isn't like, uh, I think that, I think that, I think that art serves to like kind of explore questions, however messy or inadequate they answer those questions, inadequately they answer the questions. But I think that's what, I think that's the, the I think that's the service that art should be doing right now is, is, um, is asking those questions and discussing these things. I have, it's weird. So, you know, I finished my dog book. And so I had this other, com- I have these other comics. One of them, it makes sense. It's like a comic about being Syrian, but it's been on my table for a year because I, because I, everybody was like, we're so interested in your comic. But then all the journalism places were like, oh, because it's too much of a personal narrative. So it wasn't like political enough because it mm-hmm. wasn't a journalistic comic, but they're like, oh, but it's that topic that we want. But they're like, I want to read it, but we don't want to publish it. Anyway, but the other one was about date rape and I was working on it and I was like, Oh, this is going to be great. I mean, it's not, it's not awesome, but it's, I was like, this is great. Like every, cause before the election it was like, everyone's talking about misogyny and like pussy grabbing and people are really hearing women's stories. Women are tweeting their stories and this will be great. This will just be part of the women's stories. But now that like there's a rapist in office, I'm like, maybe it's too, de- I wonder, I'm like, where's my place as a depressing cartoonist? <laughs> To tell depressing stories in a depressing climate. Like, should I just give people, like, cyanide capsules with it or... (laughs) (laughs) It's funny you said... I, like... It's like I I had... I was saying... I was talking to a friend the other day because I was having so much trouble with this last comic that I just put out. And I was like... I just feel like if... If... um, If art is the poop (laughs) and my brain is the digestive system, I feel like all I've been given to eat in order to poop this out is like cyanide and like tinfoil. Like I just, it's like, so <laughs> I don't know. I think that like, I, I think it's really hard to like, I think it's hard in any climate, um, to make art and to like, and to, to, to kind of like, uh, uh, decide what it's decide what it's, on the one hand, I think that you have to be really deliberate as an artist. I think that's like what, that's like, what defines the artistic process is, is, is being, is making deliberate decisions, um, all the way through. But at the same time, there's also only so much control you have over the effect that it has and only so much control you have over how it comes out, you know? Um, and so, so I think the people, I think that you have to continue doing stories that like feel right to you, whether, however they're going to be received. Yeah. And I think, you know, like the whole country is being date raped. Like we are like, like, <laughs> yeah, this, it's like, it's, it's like a couple people were like, yeah, let him in, let him in. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, it's, it's like, it's, it's so crass that I haven't wanted to like tweet it or anything. Cause it's like, cause I'm not like that crass on, t- you know, like in yeah. Twitter, but like the whole, you know, the, this whole thing is, it's like. Donald Trump is like is basically jerking himself off on America. He's like using America as a giant cum rag. Like that's like yeah, or as like a giant hand. Who's gonna eat the soggy biscuit after Donald Trump's done jerking off all over us? Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> so it's like so. I think date rape is still pretty apt. Yeah. <laughs> I wish that I. It's true. It's just. But then I think that he. 
yeah. He was kind of jerking himself off, and then I feel like America was like, yeah, sure, just have sex with us. Then he was like, oh. He's like, oh. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm prepared to do that. Don't, you know, Obama's like, here's what that means. And he's like, oh, oh. Obama knows how to make love. He does make love to us. I was remembering eight years ago, I felt patriotic for the first time in my life. Like, when Obama got elected and I was watching the inauguration on TV and, like, Beyonce was there singing At Last when he did his first dance with Michelle and Aretha Franklin was there and there were poets there and whatever. And I just... Because I grew up punk and, like, amongst anarchists and just, like, the American flag stands for imperialism and colonialism and, like, fuck this and whatever. And then, like, watching this person who I respected so much becoming president, I was like... I, was, I drew a comic about it. I was like, what's that feeling? It's and I was confusing. like, I was like, it's patriotism. <laughs> I feel patriotism. What is this? Yeah, you're like, wait a minute. Where's the catch? Like, you and know. And now I'm just like making poke a thread again. I don't know. I don't know. It's very, con- you know, on the one, I, it's like, you know, you read things and you're like, uh, like, was I stupid for being naive, for like being hopeful? And, you know, like, there's obviously people who have been like, it's not like they've been like you know buying this buying this this like happy story about our country when like obviously all this like horrible shit is constantly happening. Wait, I want to ask you, what is it like to date a cartoonist? You're the <laughs> only cartoonist who's been on here who's actually dated. <laughs> well, I think that I asked maybe Noah Van Skyver dated a cartoonist. Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember. I think he's dated some cartoonists, but I think that he just talked about. Look at Ponyo's grabbing my, she hugging is. my foot. But you're, I think you're, you might. You definitely win the prize for long-term cartoonist dating, I have, cohabitating. I have been dating a cartoonist for a long time, for about 11 years. It definitely has its pros and cons. There are the cons that you're both poor. The cons <laughs> are that we're both poor, that neither of us has very much earning potential, um, that we're both really, like, tied to our work, you know. Um, I think that, like, I think, but that's also a pro, you know. Like, when I have to, when I have to do a comic, I just have to, like, I can't hang out. I can't wash my body. Like, I can't, like, yeah. make dinner. I can't, like, go out for drinks or whatever. Like, I just have to do, do my work, and and Trevor obviously understands that, because he's, you know, been in similar situations, and he's just as devoted to his work as I am to mine, so it's, like, um, in a way, it's, like, really great in that sense, that we have that understanding. Like, I, I was recently speaking, I was like, I met this lady, and she was talking about dating and how she's having a hard time meeting meeting guys that aren't needy, you know? And uh, and she was, she's dating, she was dating a musician at the time, and I was like, well, isn't he busy? Like, he's an artist, you know? And, and, and we were talking about how it's like, if uh, dating a cartoonist is great because, like, you can talk about other cartoonists, you, you expand your comics library, you, you know, um, you can show, you know, you, he, he can, they can help you like edit your work. Um, and also they like kind of like get your values. So I think that's been fun, you know, and like, and, and, uh, my aunt and uncle were visiting and they were like, what do you guys do for fun? And I was, and you know, obviously we do a lot of things for fun, but I was like, well, we mostly, cause Trevor works a full-time job. And so when he has time off, like we often, We'll go draw somewhere. That sounds so dreamy to me. <laughs> I've only dated one visual artist, I think, in my life. Like a real, like, visual, like, like not just, like, a hobbyist. And we would go on vacation and just be able to go somewhere and sit and draw. Yeah. And it was so cool. And then also he would draw me notes and draw me pictures all the time. And that's always, since that, that's always my job. But it's nice to get it back and forth. Yeah, it's, it's, 
it is lovely. I, it's funny because sometimes I feel like, like sometimes I see other comics couples or artist couples and then they're like, they, they're drawing like a lot more in general than like even, than we draw, like, like writing each other notes. Like I like, I don't think that we even really do that. And like, and I was thinking, I was just like, we don't really like draw each other that much or, you know, these like romantic notions of like, like lying around in the nude, like drawing each other, like, you know, that doesn't really happen. But, uh, but, um, I don't think about that with cartoonists. Cause then I, I mean, I think about like our crumb naked and I'm like, ew, God, what? who knows? You know, you never know. What is your last advice for young cartoonists? Young cartoonists. Do you have advice for young cartoonists? My advice for young cartoonists is to be themselves. Um, uh, don't worry about what something is supposed to look like. Don't worry about what's popular. Don't worry about getting old. Don't worry about anything external. Just like just just draw your story the way you want to draw it. It doesn't have to have great drawings. It doesn't have to have great writing. It can and it will. You know, like if you keep at it. Um, but but um, just do it for you the way you want to do it and the way you can do it. And you'll have like only no one is going to the no one is going to be you better than you. So it's true. So don't worry about any competition because like no one else can do what you can do. Yeah. I love that. Vanessa, thanks for coming on Sagittarian Matters. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Wait, what's your sign? I'm a Libra. Oh, we love Libras here. Great. <laughs> With a Sagittarius rising. Really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, you know we love that. Thanks for coming. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.